You can meet me in Exodus chapter 15, where we are going to see the song of celebration. Song of celebration. The children of Israel have just crossed the Red Sea with the Egyptians nipping at their heels. And um, they've just made it across. God saved them, rescued them in an incredible way. And now we see their reaction after uh, they, they cross the sea. Um, Exodus chapter 15, as you are opening up there, it was the 2010, it was back, way back in 2010, 10 years ago, um, June of 2010, uh, it was a Wednesday morning, and I was sitting on the edge of my bed with a backpack on. I was waiting to leave for the office, and uh, was leaving a little bit late, and the reason I was leaving a little bit late, uh, I was ready to run out. But the reason I was, I was leaving late is because in South Africa, on that, at that very moment, the men's national soccer team was playing in South Africa at the World Cup. Now, I don't know how many of you know this, but soccer, I'm not, and I know I talk a lot of trash and I always say soccer is the best, but soccer is actually the most um, popular sport in the entire world. Uh, I, you can look that up if you want. And uh, it, I think it's like soccer and then cricket, I think. Uh, but anyhow, uh, uh, we were watching the men's national teams, the U.S. men's national team. And uh, we are, uh, soccer games are 90 minutes long, 90 minutes. So you've got 45 minutes in the first half, and then you've got like a 20-minute half where they get to go rest, and then you come back for another 45 minutes. Uh, they will have, at the end of the half, they will have something called stoppage time. It's what you and I call overtime here. Like in, uh, does baseball have overtime? I don't remember. But uh, uh, football, basketball, you'll have overtime. Well, it's overtime, but it's called stoppage time. It means th these are minutes that they had to stop during the game. They add them on to the end. Uh, it, was, it, was the 90, uh, uh, it was the 90th minute. And the announcer had just, or the referee actually had just announced, that there was an additional four minutes of stoppage time at the end of the game. So we're in the 90th minute. Game is just about over. We are tied with Algeria. Now, if we, if we, do, if we, if we uh, uh, remain in a tie at this point, then we are going home. We will not go on to the round of 16. So it is absolutely imperative that our team in the next, like, three, four minutes scores a goal. And it was back and forth, and Algeria was putting up a, uh, a, a strong fight, a big fight. And then, and then, this happened. Let's see if this works. To Guardiola, who plays it deep, Saife, with a header. Howard gratefully claims it. Distribution, brilliant. Landon Donovan. There are things on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross, and Dempsey is denied again, and Donovan has scored! Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA! Certainly through. Oh, it's incredible. You could not write a script like this. Surely a 
incredible. We were in my room. There were six of us in there, myself, my wife, my kids. And we erupted, and it sounded like one of those pubs right there. I had my backpack on. I'm getting ready to leave. These scores will go. We jumped up screaming and yelling. People in my in my bed, my little tiny bedroom watching TV, just all, you know, all six of us, people crying. And just, oh, I can't believe it. It was so stinking exciting for us. It was like, ah, USA, USA, America, all the way. It caused us what happened there, what Landon Donovan did, uh, uh, our goalkeeper, Tim Howard, getting the ball, throwing it immediately, and us scoring that goal caused us to react in a certain way. When you and I get to Exodus chapter 15, we find that their song of celebration is is very, very similar to that. Something monumental had just happened in their lives. Something actually much bigger. I know it's hard for me to, you know, hard for me to admit this, but something much bigger than a soccer game. Something much bigger had just happened in their lives. They had been slaves for 430 years. And now for the first time in their lives, they are set free, no longer having to answer to the Egyptians. And because of that, they erupt in celebration. We'll take a look at it here. Three main divisions, Moses, Miriam, and then Mara. Let's move on to our first section, which is verses 1 through 19, Moses. In verse 1, then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord. Now keep in mind, they've just come through the sea with the, uh, uh, the Egyptian army nipping at their heels. They made it out by the skin of their teeth because God protected them. And because of that, Moses becomes, he goes from uh, former, you know, uh, born into slavery, and then he was an Egyptian, and then he was, uh, uh, then he was a goat herder. Then he came back into Egypt and was used by God to bring the people out of Egypt. And now, add to his resume, worship leader, uh, because all of a sudden this guy erupts in worship. Verse one: Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, "This." I will sing to the Lord. And why? For he has triumphed gloriously. Now, Moses, what he does here first in his worship song is he sings of God's former victory. What God had just done, which is, which is although it's immediate, it's just happened, it is now in the past. This is what God has done. Now, this is an important element to our worship. We, you and I, when we are singing to God, we are singing of what God has done. Notice again in verse 1, I will sing to the Lord. He declares that. This is what I'm going to do. Why? For he has triumphed. It's past tense. He has triumphed gloriously. It's for what has just taken place like those thousands of people all over the world that were celebrating, like me in my tiny little bedroom, screaming like a madman with my kids in there. We were celebrating because of something that had just taken place. Here in verse 1, we find out, it says that he has triumphed gloriously. God has triumphed. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. Now, in, in the event that you are new or you don't remember what exactly has taken place prior to this, the Israelites had been enslaved in Egypt. 
God has just finished saving them by, God did this, the Israelites did not. God just saved them by drawing them into the middle of the sea. God had opened up the sea miraculously. They had gone into the sea and then God closed the sea on the Egyptians, thereby wiping them off the face of the earth. Now, he didn't kill all of the Egyptians because obviously there were still Egyptians back in Egypt, but the entire military that had come after the Israelites, God just destroyed them. So they're thanking God for that. Now, I do not think, um, I, I can't imagine that they are thanking God because he killed a bunch of people. I don't think that's it. I think what they're more excited about is the fact that they are now safe. They are no longer under threat from the Egyptians. And because of that, they erupt in song. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. And then he says this, The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. So I know what God was, and I just watched him become my salvation. Verse 2, He is my God. And I will praise him. So there's a declaration there. My father's God and I will exalt him. In worship, uh, we can do a couple of different things. One of them is to declare uh, 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 what God is and who he is. And that's what Moses is doing right here. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. So he's making a declaration. And then one of my favorite verses here, it's a small one. I would encourage you and challenge you to memorize this verse, verse 3. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. That is not something that we often think about when we consider God and who God is. We oftentimes think of Jesus. We picture Jesus, God in flesh, God uh, on earth, and we think about him being humble and being lowly in spirit, and being kind, and generous, and loving. And those are all absolutely true. But there are times, such as what we have just saw in Exodus 14, the chapter prior to this, we saw that God does at times battle. And, and he just declared that in verse 3, the Lord is a man of war, the Lord is his name. Now he's going to go on to explain, or, or to say, or to declare, uh, uh, in just a moment, your right hand did this. And then he's going to talk about God's nose. It's important for us to understand that Moses is using human terms to describe God. It's not that God has a big nose. It's that, God, that Moses, in attempting to explain what God has just done, uses human terms. The Bible says that God is spirit, that he is spirit. Let's move on. In verse 4, Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. His chosen captains are also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Here it is in verse 6. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. There are some key phrases in here. Verse 6 gives us one of them. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. You see, these are things that are helpful for you and I to be able to express our love or our admiration or to express what God has done for us. 
The phrase glorious in power is not something that you and I would normally use. Like Landon Donovan's goal at the 2010 uh, World Cup was glorious in power. That's not a phrase that we would normally use. However, it is a biblical phrase. And while we would not use it for Landon Donovan or anybody else, we can use that for God. Sometimes you may find yourself at a loss for, you know, well, uh, God is good. Okay. Uh, he's merciful. All right. He's gracious. Got it. He's love. Yes. Got it. But sometimes, uh, as we find here in verse 6, there are these other phrases that help us to more accurately describe who God is, or in addition to what we already know about him. But we find this out, that he is glorious in power. It's not just that he's glorious, like, well, he just glides and he glows and, you know, he just is glorious that way. But he's glorious in his power also. In verse 6, at the, uh, the second part, your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. This is something that God did. God, you did this thing. Verse 7, here's another one of those phrases. And in the greatness of your excellence, God has greatness of excellence, and it's his excellence. Verse 7, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath and consumed them like stubble. In other words, it was like stubble being burned. Just immediately uh, it catches fire and begins to, to move. Uh, up by my house, many of you have heard about it. It's, it's over now. Uh, but there was a, a, a huge fire that took place there in the San Bernardino Mountains that started from uh, a gender reveal. And somebody shot off some kind of fireworks or something. And uh, it, it immediately caught the weeds on fire and just burned uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of acres and mountain. I mean, it went over the mountain and then came back and uh, a firefighter lost his life. It burned like stubble. That's the idea is that it was just fast and cut through, cut them down. So verse 7, when he says that your wrath consumed them like stubble, that's the picture, is it just burned them down right away. And in verse 8, Here's another one of those body parts. We've heard about God being a man of war. Uh, we've heard about his right hand. Now in verse 8, And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The floods stood upright like a heap. The depths congealed in the heart of the sea. So the idea is that with God, um, his nostrils, that he blew out of his nostrils and it split the, the, the sea open. So you see, again, God doesn't have nostrils like you and I do. God is spirit. But Moses, in attempting to explain what God has done and to declare it, uses that. But the point is this, that if you and I were going to blow something away, okay? Maybe when you were younger, uh, you know, you'd get, you know, maybe little, do little races in the water with like, you know, a little boat or something, and you would blow on it to try and get it to move, you would not do that with your nose, right? Because you would blow with your nose and blow out boogers. Plus, the air coming out of your nose is not strong enough to blow something out of the way. You would blow with your mouth, right? If you're trying to blow something, when you, on your birthday, happy birthday to you, and it's time to blow out the candles, you don't use your nose. Okay, that's gross. Even nowadays, you're not even allowed to blow them because you might give somebody COVID, okay? 
But the idea is you wouldn't use your nose. But for God, why would I even bother using my mouth? I'll just use my nostrils. That's the idea is that God, even the, even the weakest part of his body, and, and again, keep in mind, he doesn't have a weak part. And he doesn't have a body like ours. But the idea was that even with his nostrils, it's just like nothing for him. He just blows the water. He causes, he blows so hard with his nose that it just causes the water to stand up. Now, again, just, just to be clear, he didn't actually use his nostrils, okay? Verse 9, the enemy said, here's what the enemy said, I will pursue. So this is pretty cool because we get a glimpse into the mind of Pharaoh during this time. I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my desire shall be satisfied in them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. I, I don't know if you caught that in verse 9. How many times I or my were used? I will pursue. Somebody count them for us. I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. How many was that? How many times did he use I or my? Six? Six times. Six times. Six times. These are the, the, uh, the declarations of Pharaoh. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to accomplish. This is how I'm going to conquer. Verse 10. However, here's the contrast. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? I like that in the middle of this worship set, he asked this question. And it is an important question in verse 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Does anybody remember what question Pharaoh asked when Moses first showed up in Egypt and said, The Lord says to let my people go. Pharaoh asked a question. Does anybody remember what the question was? Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? Very good. Thank you very much. Who is the Lord? In his pride, he said, who is God? Let, who, who is the Lord that I should let, let these people go? There's no way. Get out of my face, Moses. And from that point, God set about to answer that question for Pharaoh. Pharaoh asked a question. I'm going to answer that question, Pharaoh. And he did that by proving himself to be God over the Nile and over the sun and over the locusts and over the whatever. God was showing him at each step that, listen, there is no, uh, there's not some other God over the Nile and some other God over the, 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 the sun and some other God over the crops. God was showing Pharaoh, no, I'm the only God, and I'm above all of your false gods. And here again in the worship song, Moses recalls that. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods, among the gods of Egypt? Who can compare? Who can stand before you? There, there isn't any. For you and I, as, as we're praising God, the lesson is, who is there in the world that's like God? Who can love me like God loves me? Who can help me the way that God helps me? There isn't anyone that can compare. Who is like you? Here's another one of those phrases in verse 11. Glorious in holiness. So what did we read earlier? That he was glorious in what? Does anybody remember? It's a P word. Yes, that's right. Power. Just kidding. Nobody said it. Glorious in power. Now we find out that he's also... Did somebody say it? Did you say it, Excelli? I am so sorry. Please forgive me. 
okay? In front of YouTube for all the world to see. Please forgive me, okay? Anyhow, glorious in power. Now we find that he's glorious in holiness also, okay? Fearful in praises, doing wonders. Verse 12, you stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. Now, did you see that in verse 13? How many times does he use the word you or your? Somebody count them for us. Verse 13, you in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. How many times did he use you or yours? Six again, right? Six. Incredible. Where Pharaoh six times was declaring, this is what I am going to do. I am going to do this. I am going to do that. I am going to do this. God, six times, we're told here by Moses in verse 13, that it was all about God. You and your mercy. The people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. I want you to know what is missing from this worship song. As Moses begins to lead them in worship, what's missing in this song? What is missing is the thought or the idea or the declaration that the people did anything. It was very clear, it's evident from this song, that it was all about what God had done he started out by saying man you've conquered victoriously you you and and then he he goes on for 13 verses for 13 verses he declares all of the things that god has done let me think about that i won't ask you to raise your hands but if i ask you to sit down with a piece of paper or shoot me a text with all of the things that god has done i got to tell you, I'd probably have a hard time coming up with 13 verses. I might be able to get there, but it might take me a little bit of time. Moses just comes out of the Red Sea. He sees the Egyptians wiped out, and he immediately just, boom. And he's not even done yet. He's halfway through his song. And he just, boom, immediately he, he just fires off machine gun style. 13 things. God has done this and this and this and this and this and this and this. You see, sometimes you and I will run out of things to thank God for. Thanksgiving is coming up, right? One of my favorite holidays. Incredible that we have this, this incredible holiday uh, where, you know, it centers on thanks, giving thanks. I get it. But we do that by eating too much. Turkey, ham, mashed potatoes, mac and How many of you have mac and cheese for Yes, mac and cheese, stuffing, biscuits, gravy, whatever, vegetables, you know, vegetables get in the way. But anyways, you know, it's just all, you know, incredible that we have this incredible uh, 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 holiday. Um, but, but giving of thanks for what God has done. I know what it's like. Matt welcomes everyone, lights go down, worship starts, words come up, music is cranking, 
Maybe you see some of your friends up here and you're engaged. Maybe it takes a minute. Maybe it takes two songs. Maybe it takes ten minutes. But you start to wander off. Your mind starts to go. And you could be one moment, you're worshiping, and uh, yes, it's a, it's a joy to know. And the next moment, it's, it's a double-doubles are a joy. And all of a sudden, you're just gone. Like, worship's, worship's just out of the picture. And maybe, maybe, maybe you lost sight of God because of man. What are we, what are we doing later on today? Or what happened last week? Or man, last night I ate way too many Snicker bars. Whatever, whatever it is. But it's, it's, it's sometimes it's, it's easy to lose focus. I, I do it. Most of the time during worship, you're going to find me in the front because I lose focus so quickly. I'll look at the back of somebody's head, and then it's just like. Did I brush the back of my hair today? And then I'm just gone. I'm out. And I've, and I've lost sight. And it's not that God is just easy to forget, but it's that my flesh can just, can just wander that quickly. So, man, put me up here where I can't see what's going on. I don't want to think about anything else. And I want to try and get myself in that, in that mindset. But I love what has just happened here. For 13 verses, Moses talked about God. And we, you and I got to be careful. They didn't say, oh, thank you so much, God, that we are such an incredible people. And the way that we ran across the, the, the dry ground through the Red Sea, man, we did such a wonderful job. And I just want to thank you that we're so great. He didn't do that. They didn't do that. It was all about God. I uh, Normally, I'm the one that's choosing the, uh, uh, the music videos that go on here for before and after service. And so I'm always looking for new music, and I came across a song a while back, and I'll do this all the time. Some of you may do this. Um, I tend to be one of those people that I'll hear music, and I, I, um, I may immediately like it or not like it, depending on the melody of it, the way it sounds. And then I can get myself in trouble because then, you know, I like the song, and then later on I realize, oh, wait a minute, what are they singing about? Oh, I did not realize that. I, I, didn't, I didn't hear that the first time. I didn't hear him singing about that thing. I just heard the melody, and, and I just liked it. And so I was listening to this song, and I thought, oh, it was, a, it was actually a live take of a church service, their, one of their worship songs. And it, was, it sounded excellent. And I, and I already had it. I was downloading the video, and it's like, okay, we're going to use this. And then I started, then I listened to the, the lyrics. And this was a worship song, and part of that, part of that worship song, a big part of that worship song, were, were the words, um, I am good, you say I'm good. And it was like, what exactly do they mean? Like, they're singing a worship song, but it kind of sounds like they're singing to themselves, like, I, I'm declaring I am good. <laughs> My mind immediately goes to Isaiah, the heart is de the heart the center of who we are, at our being, at our core. The Bible says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Bible says your righteousness is like filthy rags. See, and I go there and I'm thinking, I'm not good. So what exactly are they saying in this song? And I went back to do a little bit of investigation and as I pulled up the church and I found a message that 
that went along with this song. And it was all about how I am good. That, you know, because I've got God, that I, I'm, 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 I'm like, there's goodness in me. Now, God may be putting goodness into me, or maybe with God there is goodness, but in my flesh, I'm not good. And so I had to be careful. It, 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 I, I realized that the worship song, part of it was a worship song to God, and then part of it was a worship song to themselves. And you and I have got to be careful that we're giving God glory and not taking it for ourselves. Here, it's all about what God has done. The next thing they, they do, after singing to God about his former victory, they sing to him about his future victory in verse 14. The people will hear and be afraid. What people? Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. So what he's saying is that because of what God has done, that will affect the future. They knew that they were headed for the land of Canaan. The Philistines were there, the Edomites were there, the Moabites were there, and that they would all be terrified when they heard about what God had done. See, this is so extremely helpful for you and I. Some of us are just naturally pessimists. Something goes wrong at home. Something doesn't go 110% right in our lives. And we immediately, worst case scenario, like, my dog is walking with a limp. I don't think God loves me. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure if God's even listening. I don't, he may have abandoned me. Some of us, we immediately go there to that place. Like, no, just worst case scenario. This will help us for the future to remember what God has done in the past. To remember that God has always been faithful will remind me that God will always be faithful. And that's what is happening here. As they remember in the first 13 verses that way, God has been so incredibly powerful and faithful. Verse 14, they begin to say, so then it makes sense that he will be faithful in the future. The people will hear and be afraid. Look at verse 15. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab. So even those that you would think would stay strong, even they will tremble in verse 15. Verse 16, fear and dread will fall on them. Fear and dread. They will be terrified. By the greatness of your arm, they will be as still as a stone till your people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. Verse 17, you will bring them in and plant them. In the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. So you've already prepared a place. Believe that. Remember what Jesus said? I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. So sometimes we wonder, well, what exactly is Jesus doing right now? Like, where is he at? I mean, is he here walking around? Is he in heaven? What's he doing? Well, we're told that he went back to heaven to prepare a place for you and I. 
went back to build to establish. There are some of us who like random road trips. Just, let's go, come on, just grab your, your bathing suit and grab a jacket and some sweats and let's just go. Where are we going? I don't know, but let's just go. What are we going to eat? I don't know, we'll just get something on the road. Some of us love that. Others of us are planners. Where are we going? What time are we leaving? What time will we arrive in Barstow? Uh, what are we going to eat? What exactly are we, when are we going to eat? What are we going to eat? What time can we stop to use the restroom? Some of us want to know all the little details. And God's got you covered on both sides because we know that God, we've, we've seen this in Genesis and Exodus, that God invites us on adventures like, hey, leave where you're at and let's go. I'm going to show you land. But, and, and so it's this randomness of, of just come with me. Don't worry about it. I've got you covered. And so you just take off on this random road trip, but God also has the end result prepared. Or he's, got, he's got the entire thing prepared. And we get one step at a time. Verse 17, he's got it all covered. Verse 18, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea. And the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. Now, at this point, there is a lady that gets involved in this worship service. Her name is Miriam. Who is Miriam? Verse 20 tells us who Miriam is. Then Miriam, the prophetess. You go, wait a minute. She was a prophetess, a prophet? Yes, she was. She was a prophet. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron. Ah, get it. Moses and Aaron, and this is Aaron's sister, Miriam. She's a prophetess. It says in verse 20 that she took the timbrel in her hand. Check this out. And all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. Cannot be. You cannot have a worship service with instruments and dancing. And yet, that is exactly what they did. What they had just experienced by the hand of God, they could no longer contain. They could no longer contain. And along with Moses and the children of Israel singing. Miriam gets so excited and so pumped up and so stirred up that she grabs her timbrel in her hand. She comes out, you know, with her little instrument. She comes out and she's just ready. She gathers up all the women like, come on, let's go. And she brings them all out and they went after her. They all followed after Miriam with their instruments, their timbrels, and with dancing. So they used even their dancing to worship God. Even their dancing was used to worship God, to celebrate who God is. Sometimes some of us may find ourselves perhaps a little too conservative in our worship, where I don't want to move, or I don't want to clap, or I don't want to make too much noise. I remember many years ago sitting in the back row of a church during worship, and my son sitting next to me, and we were clapping. We're excited. We're worshiping. And somebody came over and said something to my son. Music's going, we're worshiping. I saw him come over, didn't really know what it was. And then my son looked at me. And I looked at him and I kind of got closer. I was like, what's up? And he goes, he told me not to clap so loud. I said, he did what? 
and I said, clap louder, clap louder. And we both started clapping louder. Like, you are not, even in a church, you're going you're gonna to try and hush us up because, hey, listen, you can't be that wild. You can't, you, you need to conserve. Do not be so expressive. You cannot have all of that emotion mixed up in your worship. That's not right. And yet, what do we see here in verse 20? So much excitement, so much emotion wrapped up in this that these ladies all come out with their timbrels in their hand. You know, they're just shaking those things, pounding those things, and they're all dancing together in worship to God. They were celebrating, verse 20, celebrating. And then in verse 21, they began with singing also. And Miriam answered them. So Moses and the children of Israel, everybody's singing. And then she decides we're going to answer back. Sing to the Lord, she declares. She says, it's a call to worship. For he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. This is somewhat strange. That they would be celebrating God's victory in that he killed a bunch of people. Now, I, again, I, I do not think that they're celebrating the fact that people have died. They're celebrating God's victory over their captors, over their, the slave masters, the slave owners, those that have been uh, oppressing them for 430 years. The people that are singing these songs have never known freedom they've never known freedom regardless of their age this is the first time that they have ever been free they're experiencing it for the first time and how do they use that freedom in worship now we move on to our third and final section let's finish this thing up this section is called Mara so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea so the worship service is ended They've left the Red Sea. Moses is leading. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. I like the wilderness. Wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Okay? What would that be like? I like water. And if I go too long without water, it's no good. I start getting a headache. You know, it's just not a good, good scenario. Well, you've got all of these people following you. They go three days into the wilderness, found no water. They probably had some water in reserve. But remember that they ran out of Egypt. And they ran across the Red Sea. So I'm sure that supplies are in uh, uh, short supply. So they're now, they've been traveling for three days in the wilderness. They, can, they can't find any water. And in verse 23, it says, Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. That's bitter or sour is what it is. So the word Marah and the waters that they're about to or that they wanted to drink were sour. So the, their life is filled with sourness at this point. And the people, in verse 24, complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Now, it is comical to me and fascinating, this word Mara, because it somewhat resembles my own last name, which is Amaro. Mara, meaning bitterness. What about Amaro? 
Some of you will not be surprised by this at all, but if you were to Google my last name, you would find that my last name, Amaro, is either Portuguese or Italian, and it means bitter. And yet, it resembles Mara, Amaro. I think back to my family history, and I think, yeah, bitter, bitterness, bitterness. Here, this place, Mara, bitterness, they find water, but it's not drinkable because it's sour. Why is it sour? I do not know. We're not told that. But in verse 25, we read this. So he cried out to the Lord. This is Moses. And the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve wells of water and seventy palm trees, so they camped there by the waters. Incredible. They get to this place. Water's sour. It's bitter. You can't drink it. God, uh, Moses, as he goes to talk to God, God actually shows him a tree. Now, what is this all about? He shows him a tree, and then evidently he instructed Moses to take that tree and throw it into the water. So he does that. Again, faith. This is a journey of faith. They're learning how to live by faith. Because why in the world would I fix water by throwing a tree into it? Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. It makes no sense. But if God is instructing you to do that, then that's what must be done. And by faith. Now, think about this. If Moses had not, if he had said, God, that is crazy. I am not putting a tree in the water. Why in the world would I take this tree? I am going to look like a fool in front of these people. If I go walking, uh, the water's no good. I walk up with a tree and I toss that in the water, seriously? But evidently there's no question from Moses, or at least it's not recorded. He takes the tree, throws it in the water, and God uses that. God uses that tree to cleanse the waters so that they went from sourness to sweetness what a strange thing what a strange thing and yet not so strange when we consider when we consider that life apart from God life without the cross of Christ in it without the tree is bitterness that life without God is bitter, it's sour. It cannot sustain. But when I include the finished work of Jesus on that tree 3,000 years ago, once I accept that the completed work of Christ into my life, life can be changed from bitter to sweet, from bitter to better from sour to sweet. What an incredible picture. If Moses had chosen not to get the tree by faith, if he had, if he had not believed God, 
Who knows what could have happened out there? But because by faith he went to the tree that God showed him, he was able to cleanse the water and sustain the people. It may be that you and I are trying all sorts of things. Like, you know what? Life is bitter. The water's bitter. And you want me to go to Jesus, and you're telling me that that's going to change it from bitter to better, from sour to sweet. I don't think so. That, in fact, that sounds stupid. Why would I believe in some man that lived some uh, 2,000 years ago? Why, why, how in the world is that going to change my life today? Makes no sense. But by faith we go there. And you and I may find ourselves going from thing to thing. Maybe it was last night's party. And man, that's just going to be the party to end all parties. It doesn't matter. Every party that I go to, I always end up the next day feeling empty once again. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's whatever it is. But you're just going from thing to thing to thing to thing. And nothing seems to satisfy. And maybe you're trying every single thing except for the finished work of Christ, except for God. Life will continue to be bitter. Will continue to be bitter. It will continue to be sour until we, by faith, find that tree. Until we, by faith, commit ourselves to taking that tree and doing with it what God told us to do believing that Jesus died on that cross, on that tree. So we may search and go and travel and chase and go after everything that we can that we think is going to satisfy, and it never will. It never will. It may do it for a short time. It may feel like it did for a little bit, but it will come to an end. So it is best that you and I, like Moses, go to that tree. Perhaps some of us are living off of the faith of our parents. We're here because our parents are here. And if our parents weren't here, we wouldn't be here. So you and I have got to be careful and check ourselves and say, okay, but wait a minute, but why do I believe personally? Do I have my own faith? Or am I just living off of the faith of someone else? That doesn't work with God. God doesn't have any grandkids. He's only got kids. So you've got to decide, look, do I want to have my own faith and be satisfied? Or do I want to continue to chase around and, and you know, try to drink those bitter waters? It's always going to be bitter. Life is not naturally getting better. Everything is breaking down. Everything's falling apart. So it is with my own heart. It will not get better. My own heart is going to, 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 to continue to get worse until I receive Christ into my life. And so in verse 27, then they came to Elim, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. They, as they were searching for water, they found one body of water at Marah. And God was able to bless it and change it and, and use it. But they could have just followed, they could have waited and followed him to Elim where there were 12 wells of water, 70 palm trees and oasis. It would behoove you and I. That means that it would do us good to just believe God from the get-go. 
to believe that what he has for us is like 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees compared to this little pond of rotten water. He has life and life more abundantly, we are told. So surrender your heart to him today. If you find that you are withholding or that you're living off of the faith of someone else, surrender to him today. Say, Lord, I need you in my life. Forgive me for trying to do things on my own. Forgive me for trying to, 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 uh, to, to take in this, 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 these sour waters, this bitter water. I need, what, I need what you have for me. Forgive me. Give me a new start. 